Hey, and welcome to this episode of Comics Deserve Better. I'm here with my co-hosts, Brian. Hello, everyone. And Darcy. Hello. So we're going to do a little bit of news. There's a lot, there was a lot of industry news this week, and we're not even going to talk about DC Fandom, but there's a lot of across the indie comics industry and across the world. We have a little bit of an international correspondent thing going on this episode. And our main um, course this week is going to be Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me by Mariko Tamaki and Rosemary Valero Cano. Uh, you probably already read it. It's won a ton of awards, and I'm really excited to dig into this amazing um, LGBT romance toxic relationship story. <laughs> and yeah, and we're also covering some other books and a humble bundle. So fun stuff ahead. So first, we're going to lead off with some news. And I'm actually going to take point on this, this first news story. So I got an email, a press release, I think last week, about a Kickstarter that I think it's been fulfilled. It's called True War Stories. It's about, um, the tagline is Tales of Deployment from Vietnam to Today. And it's a pretty cool cover. It reminds me a lot of like Joe Keywordsworth, um, a couple guys on a tank. And it's edited by Alex DeCampi. You might know her from Archie vs. Predator, um, the Grindhouse comics from Dark Horse. She's a really, really awesome writer. I, as soon as I saw her name, I'm like, this is going to be a great book. And the other editor is Kai Krumbar, who is an actual military veteran of the Iraq War. So it's this, basically this is an anthology graphic novel with 15 stories about um, American soldiers of the various wars, various branches of the military, all kinds of stuff. There's Vietnam stuff, post 9-11 stuff, um, Philippines. Um, it's just basically, it's just kind of a wide tapestry about, um, you know, what, what it's like to go to war and be a veteran. And it's, and it's set to drop and it's published by Z2 Comics. They do a lot of like music comics, but I guess they're doing a war comic now. Uh, just in time for Veterans Day and the profits from the book are going to a lot of different veteran foundations. And it has a really good creative, oh, Alex Campy is doing all the lettering too, which is kind of cool. It has a really good creative team. A lot of people you might know from uh, indie comics like Peter Krause, um, this artist, Skylar Partridge, is actually drawing her own father's Vietnam story, which I think is really cool. That's awesome. Um, other, other good creators on it, PJ Holden, Josh Hood, did some uh, Black Mask stuff. So if you've kind of been following indie comics the past few years, like you'll recognize some of the names. And it'll be kind of interesting. Like I feel like war comics, except for, you know, unless you're Garth Ennis, have kind of fallen out of favor recently, which makes sense because like, I mean, I'm not, me personally, the United States been, has been at war pretty much my entire existence. So I just don't really want to read war, more war, stories. War but, comics are more popular during peace, essentially. Right. But, um, or I don't know, like World War, this, this is a whole, this could be a whole episode actually, <laughs> uh, for sure. But I think it's, it'll be interesting to get more of a personal take on it. And I really, I really trust Alex DeCampi as a creator. Um, she's she's good at like many different genres. Like she did the Josie and the Pussycats space story, which is basically like alien with those characters and just nailed it. And she she's a good eye for genre. So I think she'll uh, I think she'll do a good job and did a good job curating. So looking forward to uh, war story, this uh, comic. Um, you, are you guys war comics fans at all or just curious? I read a lot of, I think, fairly obvious i read a lot of stuff from the 1940s so i read a lot of stuff with uh world war ii 
uh, influence, uh, but I don't read a lot of uh, things that are specifically about war. So a lot of war comic adjacent, but not a lot of active war comics. Yeah. About the same as well as, and then I kind of dived into the old Sergeant Fury or Sergeant Rock books every once in a while. Just, you know, like, but, you know, that was a long time ago. (laughs) It's all good. Yeah, actually, um, I had an ex who had um, black and white reprints of, I think, Enemy Ace and GI Combat and Haunted Tank. And they're they're pretty, pretty wild. Um, The Joe, all the Joe Kubert stuff is super good. Oh, yeah. Which I'm kind of getting a little bit of, at least from this cover. I don't know about the interiors because there's a bunch of different artists. The cover definitely has a Hubert vibe to it. Yeah. So then I'll uh, pass um, our next news down to Brian. Okay. Um, All right. So Boom Studios is um, going to, um, they have a program that they've had for a while where um, comic book stores can basically subscribe to to picking up every single trade paperback and every single um, single issue that comes out for a discounted price. and what now, obviously, during this kind of climate with COVID and everything, and it, that's kind of risky for a lot of, uh, a lot of comic book stores, especially when it comes to new titles. So, boom, for the rest of the year, to those retailers who sign up for that program, are offering a basically a, a no questions asked uh, return policy. So, that, that risk is now basically mitigated, you know, so that... They can, so that those, you know, it's good for them because the books get out on shelves, and it's good for the retailers because they're not going to be stuck with a bill in their hands if nothing sells. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that's really classy because, yeah, I mean, the whole comics not being returnable, just I think it is a burden on direct market. I know it's how it's been for a while, but I, I just am like, it's a risk. It's a gamble. Especially when you're ordering three months ahead, and so three. So if a new issue comes out, you don't know how that issue is going to do for the first three issues that you're ordering. Essentially, if the if the book comes out monthly, which is a crazy risk if you think about it. And it sort of leads to this issue with overprinting, and I, no one really knows what anybody's numbers actually are. It's a real problem. I don't. I don't know. I have. I have serious issues with not being able to send things back, and it's really stupid. I have. I have so many problems about distribution in the comics industry. But yeah, it's yeah. boom. Doing this is is really solid. I like it a lot. It's order by mail, and you know any other place that does online orders and order by mail, they allow them people to return things. That's the whole. Kind of right point. yeah <laughs> well so. and you, yeah you never know when a, i mean you can guess you know if a book's going to take out but you can never i mean you can never really know yeah exactly okay and i have another piece of inform of news a real quick one um the 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 comic series protector from image comics will be changing their name to first knife for in the, for trade paperbacks going forward which I'm totally for because Protector is such a milk toast name <laughs> and first knife kind of sounds cool. So yeah, I actually kind of want to check it out now. Yeah. Cause 
I bet they, because I know Protector was the code name of, of Novar for a while. So I don't know. I don't know who was the, it's, it's just, it is really generic for sure. Yeah. But. Not the second knife, the first knife. Very cool. <laughs> so for our next news, I'm going to pass it off to Darcy, who's our kind of our international correspondent. <laughs> it's a weird news story, I guess, but it was something I wanted to pass on because I saw uh, that a lot of, if you're paying attention to international news, which I think most people are, but this one's easy to miss, there are protests going on in Thailand right now. Uh, their democracy protests, which this happens quite often in Thailand. There's kind of like waves of coups that happen, and a coup happened uh, several years ago while I was still living there, and it kind of goes on a downswing, and right now there's a kind of protest movement against the existing government, but there is kind of a difference in this time because unlike previous periods of coups and protests, uh, the king that had been ruling in Thailand for decades and decades, like almost since World War II, uh, he died a couple of years ago and his son's in charge now. And people don't respect his son as much and they don't trust his son as much. And if I were to say this while I was still in Thailand, I could go to jail for it because <laughs> there's a law in Thailand called uh, Le Majesté which uh, makes it kind of illegal to speak out against the royal family. <laughs> and so all of these kids, it's mainly a student protest movement who are coming out uh, to protest for democracy in Thailand are kind of risking their freedom and they're being supported in a large part by uh, comics creators, by artists. And so we've seen a lot of artists uh, like Tuna Dunn and Art Gino, who I've mentioned on this podcast, uh, make art pieces for the movement. Uh, Tuna Dunn, you probably know, but don't know you know. Uh, she's kind of like Sarah Anderson or Yasmin from Cat vs. Human, where you probably have seen their artwork on Facebook that's shared, but you don't know their name. These people are making artwork for the movement and just by sharing their art, they're risking their freedom. And this is incredibly important work that they're doing. And it's kind of one of those things that if you live in a Western country where we have democracy, we have freedom of speech and we kind of take it for granted and in other countries they're kind of actually actively fighting that and risking themselves for their freedom of speech and so I think it's an incredibly bold thing that deserves praise all of the students who are out there standing up and, and fighting for it all of the people period who are standing up and fighting for it certainly deserve praise but in this podcast we do highlight independent comics and comics creators. And since we've talked about Art Gino on the podcast and other, you know, comics creators I'd, or artists, I'd like to highlight Tuna Dunn, Saucy T, Sophia Pular. I'll post a few of them on our Twitter. Uh, it's definitely worth looking into. Uh, you can look at the hashtag what's happening in Thailand on most social media just to see what's going on. Um, and just look into it. So much is happening in the world that we kind of ignore things that aren't in our backyard, but it's a pretty important thing that's happening, I think. 
absolutely no it's i mean and it's a long storied history of of artists kind of putting their necks online and it's it's great to hear but at the same time it's absolutely scary and terrible yeah pretty much (laughs) yeah i found it really interesting like one of the pieces of art you shared about um kind of the solidarity between hong kong and thailand Mm because I don't know. Right. I'm, I'm a big uh, I'm a big NBA fan, and uh, like during the Hong Kong when Hong Kong was protesting against China, like the general manager of the Houston Rockets was like, "I stand with Hong Kong." As the team NBA teams were in China and players right. were in and it was I just think it, that it was really big that he, that he was allowed to you know speak his mind, even though he might have been a- losing you know his team, especially Houston. Houston has a big um, I mean, yeah, they had Yao Ming back in the day, they had a huge um, Chinese American fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big losing, market for NBA. Yeah. yeah. Right. Losing, losing, the, losing revenue and just, you know, st- standing on the line. It really, just that kind of, the kind of activism through art, activism through sports always, mm-hmm. always appeals to me, like using your, using your platform. Um, there's a I know there's a thing between Hong Kong and Thailand they're like taking the you know what Hong Kong's learned about protests over the last couple of years they're taking those methods because you know Thailand like I said has these waves of protest but Hong Kong does it far more frequently and they've had a lot of success with you know like uh, modern technology and what they've come up against so you know everybody kind of learns from each other and yeah. It's oh, yeah. Yeah. I think fascinating. It's, yeah. Just this global community of activism. Like, because I, th- mm-hmm. I, I remember reading about, you know, the protesters during the Black Lives Matter protests in Portland. They were getting advice on how to, with tear gas and with stuff. With tear gas, yeah. From, from yes. Palestinian activists. And it's just, right. It's this, this network. It's so, it's so cool. Yeah. It really Absolutely. is. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so, been quite fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it shows, you know, people, people rag on social media a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm one of them, but it can be, you know, it can amplify people's voices for sure. Definitely, definitely can. And so, it, like you said, the you know Portland's seeing support from all over the world. We've seen Black Lives Matter see support from all over the world and get support from a lot of communities all over the world. But you know, Thailand's this smaller country with a smaller interest base that hasn't seen a lot of international support. But what they're doing is something I think most countries, especially like Western countries, would support, and that is you know like democracy, freedom of. Su- freedom of speech we kind of support that and so art is one place we could stand up and support that and one of the things that they use is something I think most western pop culture people would recognize they use the three-fingered salute from uh, the Hunger Games oh that's really cool that's what they've been using as like their symbol Uh, and you know it's something that's kind of global something very recognizable so you see it in their art uh, there's a lot of masks being worn, which is now a very global symbol for everybody because you have to wear masks, like protests and masks and these three-fingered salutes. It's a very recognizable thing. So I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. all the protests I've been to, people were wearing masks. So. Yeah, which is it just good. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, cool. All right. So I'm going to hand it back over to Brian for our last few bits of news. Okay. Um, let me see. Well, uh, we got uh, Valiant, uh, Valiant Comics. I, we haven't really spoken much about them on this here, but they're a pretty, a pretty decently sized independent comic book company that uh, has superheroes and everything. And they're um, 
the movie Bloodshot was from Valiant uh, that had come out recently, the Vin Diesel early 2000s style action movie. Um, but um, they are moving their offices to LA from New York and uh, restructuring their business kind of the way DC did, um, where they're going to be kind of focusing on all sources of, of media at the exact same time. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I like books from Valiant, but I don't, I don't, I'm going to, and I'm not an expert on this at all. And I, I know they, they probably have some, I've seen, I've read some articles about some of the, like, especially the overseas funding um, that they have. So they, well, they might have deep pockets, but I just, I don't see, like, they, they don't have a character, like, a, like a breakout really character that, I mean, a character I could go, you know, mention at the water cooler at work and people would know who it is. I, I really do think maybe Faith could be that breakout character because she yeah. does have a YA novel from the, I don't know the author's name, but the, she wrote that book, Dumplin'. So I could see Faith maybe taking off, especially since there's so few like plus size superheroes. And also mm -hmm. like, I feel like Faith also really appeals to like the fandom community as well. And I mean, she's really good. I mean, really good source material to draw from too. Like I, I've really enjoyed the, the Faith comics from Valiant that they published. I think it works as a good economic move. You're moving to a slightly cheaper market. You're moving to a place where you can do all of the things that as a entertainment company you want to do so you don't have to split your business. So from an economic standpoint, maybe it makes a lot of sense. So if you're restructuring your company, you can put it all in one place. So even if you don't necessarily have uh, one highlighted character it's not necessarily a bad thing to do possibly it draws interest definitely if you're trying to sell yourself to new investors you want to say hey look we're doing a thing and if you have nothing else to do you're saying hey look we're taking activity in our business we're moving we're restructuring yay yeah so that's like, something yeah. i feel like and honestly i feel like most comics companies are on the west coast now either la or Portland I like I, th I think like Marvel yeah. Marvel's still in New York and they, I mean they kind of have to be but I mean all their TV film is obviously in LA yeah. and I think uh Dynamite is in like New Jersey <laughs> I think Vault is in like I don't know <laughs> I actually don't know where Vault is sorry but I feel like yeah comics has become more more west coast like yeah in indies indies and because uh, like Oni and Lion Forge merged and you know they moved to Portland Image moved to Portland like I feel like like the west coast is the place to be for comics <laughs> new york's expensive what can you do yeah so, well, so is la yeah Sad. but you can find cheaper pockets in la like you can find cheaper you can yeah you can I, I know people that live in la for affordable prices i don't know anyone living in new york city for affordable prices for like office rents why aren't there why isn't there a company in chicago <sighs> I mean, I think I think Devils Do is there, but Second City. And uh, I, like, I, I like I like it when I liked I liked it when a lot of the companies were in Portland. Like, yeah. But yeah, you know, because there's a lot of creators in Portland too, which is definitely. Cool. I mean, I feel like all the DC books were being run, like all the decent DC books were being run by creators from Portland. You had like mm -hmm. Bendis, Walk, David Walker, Kelly Sue, Fraction, um, Michael Oming. Who else? Forgetting oh, someone. Matt Fraction. The Allreds? Are yeah. the Allreds in Portland? I think they are. I don't know. 
but like I just I felt like I felt like a bunch of like there was a whole side of the DC universe that was basically like the Portland verse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that book Naomi was even happening in Portland. But yeah, so oh, it was um, Lake Oswego, I think, which is a it's near Portland. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and then um, but then there's a few, and then Fantagraphics is in Seattle, and Drawn and Quarterly is up in Montreal. And then, but then like, yeah, but then you have the book publisher. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting, like seeing the, the West Coast move, which I think a lot is because of, as we mentioned, like TV, movies, video games, it's trying to get, get on those markets. And, and as we've talked in the podcast, like we, we had that old guard episode and like independent comics have found success. I mean, people were getting hyped for the boys season two. And I'm like, and back in the day, that was just some, some really ultra violent fucked up, like, Garth Ennis comic that me and like a few people talked about. Now yeah, it's no, like no one would know about. what the boys was. Okay. Yeah, it's but it's it's cool. I mean, it's really cool. But yeah, well, sure. I want cartoons personally. <laughs> like I think Valiant kind of dived into that because I mean, how would we have ever even heard of the Tick if it wasn't for a cartoon? And that's definitely an independent comic. Oh, very independent, popular, <laughs> and even to this day with uh, even new shows. Yeah, I mean, so, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mirage yeah, Studios. I mean, def, definitely. You want to go to the top? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, no, give me some dying cartoons. Go for it. Because animation can be made so cheaply now. I mean, uh, hand drawn, especially, not 3D. But plus, the 3D stuff ages really poorly. So yes. go, go hand drawn for sure. Mm-hmm. But cool. Valiant speculation, party time. Um, so, do we have any other, other final news or? La- Last thing, um, I think um, a, a favorite among among uh, many people, right, writing wise, is uh, Peter Milligan, and he, you know, he's mostly famous. I would say for Ecstatics for Marvel, from the was that early two thousands when that was. Yeah, yeah, with Michael yeah. Allred, and hey, and don't forget Shade the Changing Man. Oh yeah, she, yeah, she, definitely some some Vertigo, which um, needs to be credentials. Reprinted. Definitely, and well, um, he hasn't been doing much lately, as I've I've heard, and he actually has a new series coming out from Ahoy Comics, and it's called Happy Hour, where uh, essentially everyone's got to be happy at all times. It's essentially illegal to be sad, and the joy joy police come around and uh, and beat up or or arrest anybody who is not uh, following what they call the cheery code. So it sounds like once again what he's best at, which is like you know, social satire. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That sounds, Ooh, that sounds like perfect Peter Milligan, like right up his alley. Yeah. yeah. Even going um, back to his, uh, his British stuff. He had this, like, he, he was like with 2000 AD, like his stuff, like Bix Barton, all that stuff was just always like, there'd be all the serious, like odd men, like judge dread stuff. And then he would come in at the end of the strip with something like really funny. And like, he would have books where like the main character had a like cane that was named Michael Caine and, which is, I don't know. He's great. So I'm excited for that, for sure. Cameo. Um, and Ahoy is, Ahoy is a really solid publisher. Like, they, they're, yeah. You know, they're really interesting because they always, they add, um, their back matter is is a bunch of, like, prose and, like, and little short stories and poems and stuff like that that might not necessarily have to do with the actual book you're reading. So you kind of get, like, a fun little, you know, like, grab bag of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, and they, I don't know, they're like, they, they kind of, yeah, they kind of have, like, there's a little bit, I mean, because Tom Pyre is one of their editor, one of their main editors, and, and Stuart Moore, you kind of get, like, 
a little bit of a vertigo vibe, especially with like the social satire in a lot of their books. But mm -hmm. also, you I mean you get fun, kind of fun like superhero books like Ronger. So yes. yeah, I definitely want to cover some Ahoy books on future episodes. Oh, definitely. Okay. And Billionaire Island is uh, one that's coming out right now that I've been wanting to read. Nice. Which is yeah, Mark yeah. Russell. I read the first issue. It's really yeah. Mark Russell. Mark Russell is like basically with Ahoy, he can pretty much do whatever the hell he wants. Like yeah. I really liked Second Coming. Um, and it's getting a sequel. So, yep. Vertigo should not have passed up on that one. Mm -mm. But, yeah, whatever. Time Warner didn't. AT&T didn't like it. It's too, too, uh, too edgy for middle America, I guess. I yep. It's, 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 it's like, it's like half as blasphemous as, as Preacher. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, come on. That's uh, not it. Yeah, and it was actually a sweet story. It yeah, really it's was. very kind of sitcom-y. I mean, yeah. It's like that. It's like a. It's like that. That TV show, God Friended Me, had like a little bit more of an edge and a deeper knowledge of um, religion and society. But definitely, cool. yay! We should definitely talk about Ahoy in future episodes. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I think that's all for the news this week. Um, so we're going to move on to our quick hits. So uh, Darcy, what is your quick hit this week? Uh, I wanted to talk about Burning Tree. I'm in a little bit of a Source Point Press horror. Thing right now cool. I don't know why but I just am so I'm on horror comics at the moment and I found Burning Tree which actually just came out this week uh, it's by Nuna Garrido Lecca uh, it's a one shot so really quick not very long book it reads horizontally for some reason it's Ooh. awesome very different looking book it's a gothic horror Yes. mostly silent uh it's got like i don't know like four words in the entire story <laughs> so really it's <laughs> it's it's really interesting it's it's uh arranged where you know you're reading the book horizontally it's got like three panels per page you flip the page up and sometimes it's only two panels sometimes it's only one panel it's all black and white and the basic story is kind of you've got this woman, kind of Victorian uh, looking. She's alone and, you know, it's gothic horror. She's in this big house and she's kind of racked by guilt or she's haunted by this darkness. And it's very black colors, this darkness that's like coming up upon her and you get minor flashbacks and you see the shadow of this man inside her shadow and it's just you know yes. how does how does she face this guilt how does she get through this guilt that's haunting her inside this big gothic house and it's just this little one-shot gothic horror it's not overly complicated but it's i it was really it was just really good interesting comic i'd not read anything like it recently or possibly ever i don't know i i've not really read anything very literary in comics in a long time so i i kind of really enjoyed it it was it was good i liked it i love you some gothic horror i mean it sounds like kate bush like ghost wrote that yeah mm -hmm. it's a it's such a great genre i'm trying to think the last gothic horror i mean things kind of counts but not really um mm -hmm. i read in comics was like dc did this dead man comic that was like mm. straight up a gothic horror comic so yeah dude i'm i'll take anything in that genre like for sure so yeah, yeah i mean definitely. it's it's not 
overly complicated. It's yeah. very kind of the trope of, you know, house, woman, nice. <laughs> window. It's just, it's, just, it's just pared down to, to the essence. Very much so. Your yeah. atmosphere. Oh, I love it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to, well, I assume it's on graphite. No, no, no. It's um. It just came out this week, so it's oh. not there oh. quite yet. Oh, okay. I actually, you know what? I haven't actually checked graphite. I paid for it, cool. but um, <laughs> I, I bought it straight from them. I can't remember what website, what the website's called. I'll, you know, I'll put it on our Twitter. Nice. Um, but it cost me like ninety cents nice. digital. Nice. So yeah. Cool. I'm gonna have to check it out. It's like oh, a, that's it's awesome. like an iTunes song download back in the. Stone Age. <laughs> Definitely have to check that out as well. Nice. Do you think we should do in October a, a all spooky October? I would love that. Yeah, hey, I think I'm, we, I'm I down. Think I'm down for sure. Definitely. Uh, so, Brian, what's your uh, quick hit this week? Uh, speaking of, well, keeping it spooky, uh, Gideon, <laughs> Gideon Falls number twenty four uh, from Image. Um, like we said last week, uh, they're they're ramping down and uh, getting towards their conclusion, and what makes Gideon Falls great is that Jeff Lemire and uh, Andrea Sortino get to play with so many different different um, landscapes and different genres. And this one essentially takes place in an old west town that um, it's essentially an old western zombie story that hardly has once again any any words in it and it's essentially one of the characters gets stuck in this old west area and there's two kids that they have to protect uh, meanwhile the entire town is getting affected by bugs that uh, cause them to be possessed by this demon that has been um, running rampant through the entire series so it's essentially it's a it's a get out like try to you know you know escape these horrors that are coming after you with with very rudimentary tools since the old west so so it's it's a pretty interesting fun fun uh quick hit of a book horror western i love it so much i feel westerns are making a mini comeback right now i think (laughs) maybe if pulp sells enough i mean yeah could be because pulp is getting like so much publicity, I feel like I get I see a new interview or something about it every time. And Brew Baker is going to do a talk with Joe Hill on independent bookstore day. So this issue, you know, you know, you just mentioned it, and it actually struck a real big chord. This issue actually reminded me a lot of kind of the flashback issues of Lock and Key. Ooh. So kind of the same feeling. We mentioned Joe Hill that kind of locked in place for in my head yeah i think lock and key is even having new issues too so yeah mm-hmm. yeah and joe hill is like all over comics right oh now. definitely the hill house stuff is good yeah i haven't i haven't read any of it but i don't know i saw Stuart eminence on one of the books and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah, check that out cool so my so my quick hit isn't as much horror but it might be a little bit gothic a little bit nice. um it is so after a, I think like three or four month delay, um, Adler number three came out. It's published by Titan Comics, written by fantasy novelist Lavi Tadar, um, art by really good art from Paul McCaffrey. And basically what Adler is, is think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but instead of focusing on the male characters and having maybe, you know, one token female character, like I guess Mina Harker in the case of the 
the league books that I've read, the early ones. Um, it's all about like the female characters of, Victor of, of uh, Victorian literature. So you got Jane Eyre, obviously Irene Adler is the main character. Um, there's some, you got little orphan Annie running around. Nice. Like she's, she's great. Little she's like, a, she's fun. Like, I don't, it's kind of weird seeing her drawn in a photo real, realistic way, but eh, it's all good. And then you got the bad, the bad, the bad girls. Like um, you got Aisha from the She novels by uh, H. Ryder Haggard. He also did um, King Solomon's Mines, the Alan Quatermain. Basically, he's a, he's a big old imperialist motherfucker. <laughs> but his books are super popular um, at the turn of the century. And I think they made some movies and stuff, so people still kind of are vaguely familiar with it. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, then like you have Car who, then you have my, my personal favorite probably because I was a huge fan of this web series. Um, Carmilla shows up as a, like kind of a silent assassin. So an issue three is really fun because you kind of um, see the mystery get unlocked a little bit. And it, there's some cool connections to Madame Curie and radiation poisoning and radium. And it's, I mean, the plot's a little, kind of just your generic apocalypse thing, but it's just a lot of fun. Just the interactions between Jane Eyre and Irene Adler and um, and just seeing them basically just kind of run circles around all the like male characters who are pretty much like supporting characters from Sherlock Holmes who pop in. You got Lestrade and uh, Moran and Moriarty died in like the first, one of the first two issues. So he's off the board. Nice. So it's, it's cool. It's just very, it's a lot of fun. And McCaffrey has this kind of, um, his, his style is kind of photorealistic, but it's also kind of very like Victorian broadsheet style. So it's, it's cool. Very, very easy to follow. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of, of like late 19th century literature at all. And I want to make one quick thing about the cover. Ryan, the great Ryan Hughes did a cover for, um, this issue and it's like perfect, like art deco. Um, so it was cool. I'm like, wow, they really upgraded their cover game between in the past four months. And I'm like, oh yeah, Ryan Hughes, of course. <laughs> like, so it's cool to see him do artwork because he mostly now just does logos and stuff. So it was cool to see some art from him for sure. But yeah, it's, it's, if you're a fan of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or any of the, the Kim Newman, um, Anno Dracula novels, any kind of like kind of alternate literary history stuff, like it's worth checking out for sure. So. Would you say like a fan of like the Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock Holmes, or the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes would be fans of it? Yeah, if maybe a little bit. I don't. It's it's a lot different from that, but okay. Um, it's it, it's like the mystery, like the mystery isn't that great, but it's just fun seeing the kind of the character characters like have. It's kind of fun seeing these characters who are often like on the sidelines have more agency and get to do more cool stuff. So. <laughs> so Carmela's the villain. She's like, okay, so, so the main, the big bad is Aisha. Um, okay. definitely the big bad. And she has some crazy ass flashbacks of her, like, destroying, like, the British people in, like, um, some, somewhere in Africa, because, you know, imperialism. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But Carmilla is kind of like the, uh, she's kind of like the Boba Fett. Like, she kind of oh. comes in and does badass things, but doesn't say much. And just kind of looks cool. But she, she definitely, like, is memorable. Very, very Boba Fett, like, in the, Boba Fett in the, uh, in his first appearance, for sure. Awesome. But yeah, no, no, it's, it's cool seeing her um, here, even though she's very supporting role. But. Still cool. 
yeah it is yeah it's cool seeing her in any, any anything pretty much that's awesome i'm very biased as a former carmilla beat reporter but <laughs> it's it's awesome so yeah so i think that's i think it's time for us to move on to the main events ding, um, ding, ding. i'm gonna raise i'm raising up a physical copy of the book uh, listeners at home aren't going to see it. Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. It's written by Mariko Tamaka, Tamaki, who's done a bunch of comics. And Rosemary Valerio O'Connell. I think I first saw her work on Lumberjanes, but they're both really two talented creators. And basically the basic premise of the book, I mean, it's kind of in the title. The main character is this um, uh, biracial um, teenager named... Uh, Freddie, she lives in Berkeley, and she's in a very kind of progressive high school, because, I mean, it's Berkeley. I mean, what do you expect? And Mm -hmm. she has this girlfriend named Laura Dean, who is very cool, like way too cool for school. And this Laura Dean keeps breaking, oh my God, it just keeps breaking up with her. So the, the book kind of follows the complications of their relationship, plus it also focuses on her friends as well, especially her friend Doodle who's non-binary and and I'm going to use they pronouns and their their kind of deal and kind of as as Freddie like Freddie and Laura's relationship affects Freddie's friendship with Doodle and also you see stuff with her family or with uh, Freddie's family and it, it's good it's like it's like this um, awesome romance slice of life so much yearning so much longing super stylized lives up to the hype because this book's gotten a lot of hype in YA circles, comic circles, library circles, pretty much everywhere circles. I'm really surprised that like Netflix hasn't like optioned a movie <laughs> of it yet because, but um, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So, uh, so Darcy, what are your kind of initial thoughts on, oh, first of all, have you, had you guys read this before the podcast? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm, yes. I guess Definitely. I'm the newbie who read it for the first time. <laughs> 2019 was a busy year for me. Uh, Totally understandable, but you know, it's cute. You know what it is. It's definitely something I'm going to look into. Um, I agree. Netflix should totally pick it up. It's better than most of the YA romancy kind of crap that Netflix does. I think it's a better (laughs) example of that. I am kind of like predisposed to this just upon visuals. It's got that black and white pink wash it's like mm-hmm. automatically something Darcy's going to like perfect Darcy visuals uh, so <laughs> upon first look automatically I'm on board from reading it for me it's incredibly nostalgic um, asexual was not something you identified as late 90s early 2000s because it wasn't something people talked about back then but as a reader of this book, I feel completely transported back to high school because you're watching all these people make terrible decisions. <laughs> and that was basically my high school experience was watching all of my friends make really weird relationship decisions and me not really understanding them. And I'm going, why are you doing this? This is so terrible. She's awful. They're awful. Why are you being so crazy? oh my gosh and that was basically high school for me so it's an incredibly like i never see myself in characters like this but i feel very connected to characters like this because they are 
you know, people I love, never myself, but they're very much people I love. And so I, I just enjoy the heck out of this book because it makes me, it, it feels real in a way that makes me sad, certainly, because Laura Dean's incredibly toxic, but mm -hmm. very nostalgic in the way that, you know, that these people are probably learning things and going to come out better in the end. Absolutely. It's... Uh, Brian, what were your initial thoughts for your reread? Um, well, it's it's very. I mean, it's it's extremely universal, and it's it's absolutely wonderful that it is a story, you know, about an LGBT relationship. But it can be a relationship about any, you know, there's toxicity in any relationship. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you're attracted to. It, it can definitely happen, um, and everyone's been there. I mean, I mean, a lot of people have either you know seen people go through it or or they've done it themselves and they don't understand why and you know looking back you're kind of like well that was dumb but you know like when you're in it it's 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 totally a different world and um i think at an early age um i think i really like personally i romanticized the idea of being in a relationship so i kind of identified with freddie because it's obviously I think she puts up with all this stuff because she feels like she needs to have somebody. She needs to be in a relationship with someone. And, and then I can, and, and it's essentially used because of that. And so it's just that right there kind of, kind of struck with me as well. And also um, I've notoriously been inside my own head and a crappy friend <laughs> in the, you know, in, in the past uh, because I'm, I'm thinking about all my, woes and not thinking about the the lives that the people that i i love are going through at the same time so it's it's real it definitely it, it took me back as well in in kind of those situations and um and also it's very nice because freddie kind of handles it better than than i probably would have or have <laughs> in the past so yeah okay so like Wow, I kind of wish, I wish my high school, I mean, I'm bi, and I wish, I wish my high school had been this um, accepting of, you know, queer relationships. I went Absolutely. To, I went to, uh, like, a Christian high school in um, rural Virginia, so uh, scary. I was not, but hey, I'm, apparently I was not the only queer kid in that high school, so mm -hmm. that was nice. I, I really want to, there's, there is a, a blurb on the back of the book that I really want to read from uh, Molly Ostertag, you might know her from her comic, The Witch Boy, that kind of nails what this book is about. And when I, I think I saw that on the back, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a great comic. Um, so here's the blurb. Uh, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me is a stunningly beautiful book and a breath of fresh air in the canon of young adult LGBTQ literature and that it doesn't focus on homophobia, coming out, or oppression, but instead follows a twisting and utterly relatable teen love story. So I, I love that it just focuses on as Brian mentioned, basically Freddie struggling with this epic, crazy romance, but also trying to be there for her friends. And that's really difficult from personal experience. That can be really difficult. And there's only, you know, a few hours in the day, especially when you're dealing with school and work and family stuff on top of that. And this book 
gets that a lot. And it's, it's a really, it's a really good story engine. And I, I just, I just love the, I love the balance between Freddie's relationship with Laura and Freddie's relationship with Doodle and they get equal airtime. And, and I love the way that Valerio O'Connell like arranged the visuals, like, well, you know, Freddie and, and Laura off in the corner, making out, having fun, like Doodle's like struggling with something that like no teenager should have to struggle with and like dealing with a, like a, like a, like a unwanted pregnancy and stuff. And, 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 they feel like they can't tell anyone about it, even in, it's just so complicated while, while Freddie's just starting around and. <laughs> the, the one person that she could talk to about it, which is Freddie is, is, yeah, she's just like flitting around, like not, not there. And in the most important parts of, of someone's life. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it's, and it's cool. And like, and honestly, like, I like that, I think I've seen a few, this book actually does have negative reviews, by the way. Um, they're on Goodreads, so take them with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, people are like, the plot meanders too much. I'm like, I kind of like that it meanders. I like, you know, I like that little little meandery subplot where where uh, Freddie goes to the, uh, the DJ night at the art gallery and kind of gets to hang out with some other queer people that aren't Laura and kind of have some fun and have maybe... Not maybe like yeah maybe I should not have made out with that person and kind of kind of deal like and like dealing with the mm-hmm. whole jealousy and also yeah, like that's that doesn't feel like a meander to me that's that no yeah no no no, no part I'm not of saying... Laura's that exposes oh. part of Laura's personality you I'm not saying to... it's a me I'm not saying it's a meander oh. this is just someone on Goodreads some chump on Goodreads oh okay yeah. it's like that's 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 with... almost necessary yeah yeah no it's and it's cool and it's just cool seeing seeing her in a different setting and I love the little the comedic relationship that she has with uh, Vi from the beginning yeah, like where she Vi. just like, yeah. like Vi is like this, the unsung hero of this entire book. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, <laughs> and the flirting, the flirting between them is so beautiful. And, but at the same time, it's just, it's, you know, she's like this sage, even though you find out later, she's like, what, two years old? One, one year older. One, or year, one year older. older. She's yeah. 18. <laughs> I know. Right. It's so, like, she's like, I'm too old for you. She's like I'm 25. 18. No, I'm 18. <laughs> yeah, that's the funniest scene in the book. Crap. Yeah. And, and that, but that, once again, is such indicative to being a teenager. I mean, yes, like, someone's 20 is like, oh my God, they're ancient, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, and it's just like, I don't know, like, I, I like, I'm in a lot of queer spaces and I just like always, I mean, I'm, I'm like 27, but I always feel like people are like way older than me. Like I've gone to these brunches and everyone's like at least five years older than me. And which is cool. I mean, I'm glad getting that, getting that, that wisdom, but it's also like, <laughs> I don't know, but. but no, I t- totally understand. I, I'm almost 40 and I still kind of feel like that too. So yeah, I totally know what you mean. But just this book is just, stunning on just a craft level i mean like just the word balloon placement the color placement mm-hmm. um instead of just you know doing the the usual mainstream bullshit like kind of moving the plot along we got 20 pages whatever like she she lets scenes linger she you know uses beat panels very well and, and a lot some, of good open space yes oh, yeah or, you know, for really dark, like, depths of depression, she just, like, turns on the shadows, just yeah. turns off mm-hmm. the, the proverbial light, you know. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about the, the 
having like the inanimate objects kind of interject almost it. like a chorus. I loved yeah. it. Like I, I mean, to each their own. I don't know how everybody grew up. I talked to, you know, my dolls. I didn't really have dolls, dolls, but I talked to my dolls. I talked to my plushies. I talked to my cats. I talked to everything. So it it felt very real to me. You know, you interact with your environment. So it, it felt right. It felt real for a person who was, I mean, she was writing an advice column. She needed help from her environment. So it, it made sense. It worked really well. Yeah, I liked it a lot. They had, they had some good humor and also kind of created that connection between uh, uh, Freddie and, and Doodle. And also, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And also, I don't know, like to get in more into symbolism, like it kind of reminded me of like, kind of like plushes or kind of a symbol of like childhood or, and I, I don't know, I have a lot of people like who had rough childhoods still like have plushes. I still have plushes. Well, mm -hmm. true confession. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 a lot of people do. Yeah, I get, I, I, get, I, get a, I get a Miles Morales Builder Bear up on my bed right now. Like, Sweet, whatever. That's <laughs> awesome. I have a I have a blue whale. Cute. So you know, for stimming and stuff like that. I have a Yeti collection. So nice <laughs> plushes represent. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like a symbol of kind of like childhood innocence, um, especially like, and then especially once you know you have Doodle dealing this. Like at the beginning, you're like, oh yeah, Doodle, whatever. They're just into Dungeons and Dragons and manga and <laughs> like who cares? Mm -hmm. But then, be, then you kind of really because you know Freddie's been so not present that they've been in a relationship of a like a, a married like kind of some kind of relationship like a sexual relationship with a with a married man and like just trying to it's very <laughs> difficult waters to navigate and sometimes you need just like cute plushy time to kind of offset that for sure. And yeah, I I felt for me if like i said like i felt very nostalgic from the outside but for me i i kind of felt some connection with doodle you know manga like you said whatever manga was my you know my thing for a long time so i i felt that connection that nerdy connection with doodle but also you know your friends going off to have romances and kind of leaving you behind for romances and I definitely had that in high school so there was a lot that Doodle was going through that I felt very connected with so that sadness that Doodle felt which was drawn so well like the empathy on that child's face oh, definitely. and in in that child's posture like you just oh you hurt for that character so much you just feel all of it the art so fantastic and so you have just so much empathy for doodle throughout the story in the beginning when you know doodle just knows that this is a bad relationship all her friends know this is a bad relationship you know before the story even tells you that this is a bad relationship mm -hmm. just because of how the characters are drawn no definitely and when she's waiting in the bathroom you know and Laura D doesn't even care when they finally meet up. <laughs> yeah, that, but um, no. Oh, I was. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Yeah, that opening scene just sets a tone. I mean, it's like no, it's like a perfect like four minute. I mean, it's a perfect like four minute pop song. It's like you know, it's like if you want to kick it '80s style, it's like a New Order song. Or if you want to, you know, be more contemporary, it's like something by Robin or Carly Rae Jepsen, and it just 
nails that like longing of, you know, you're, you're super into that person, into someone, but that person like treats you like you're just another face in the room and, mm-hmm. and it's perfect in the pinks, which, or, you know, remind me a little bit of John Hughes movies about getting into the, like the color, you, you get the color scheme of the John Hughes flicks, the aesthetic, but not the, you know, problematic Gender racism. coding. Yeah, or the problematic right yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's just like, let's just take the cool, let's just take the aesthetic, queer coded, queer, make it queer as fuck, and like, wow. Right. So good. You, uh, you, I, you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. I was going to change the topic, so you finish that. Oh, uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's definitely related. Is the question that I had written down before, which was, well, how do you guys feel this book compares to like the, the heyday of teenage romantic comedies in the 80s like like besides obviously you wouldn't get an lgbt relationship in the in that those books but or those movies or tv shows i would say certainly better i i tend to hate 80s romantic comedies teen comedies just across (laughs) the board because i don't relate to them at all (laughs) and i'm i'm asexual uh panromantic um so like it's not that i don't and even asexual people can still get it but they're just they're rapey and they're creepy and they're awful Mm -hmm. and it's even when i was younger i still didn't really get it like 80s oh they're just awful i were i was better with the 90s i was younger whatever Clueless, you can't take me out Yay, of it. Clueless. You know, Clueless is great. Go, baby. <laughs> and, you know, Clueless is creepy in a lot of parts. Yeah, okay. it is. That yeah. age gap, though. That, that brother, that, that age gap is uh, creepy. Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd They're is, not related. Um, yes, I, you know, I'm here with it. They're not related. I, I've got things. Whatever. Moving on. It's not about Clueless. He's ageless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> he's, he seems to be ageless. He's a yeah. vampire. It's still creepy because she's not ageless. But whatever. Exactly. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, 80s romances are creepy and awful and terrible. This is not. It's creepy and awful in that Laura Dean's kind of awful, but you feel bad for Laura too. Like she's an actual character. Like her parents aren't there for her. Like she's obviously got her own emotional problems that are unresolved. Like she's a toxic human being, but she's a toxic human being for a reason. And that's not really delved into, but there's enough, enough depth and story around her that you get that. And that's something you can appreciate. That doesn't really exist in eighties comedies. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? No, definitely. And and I mean, because Laura Dean, and if it was like an eighties movie or he's like a romantic comedy, she would have been kind of more viewed as like a force of nature, where yeah. it doesn't she doesn't really have a personality and she doesn't have like a reasoning. She's just there, like a storm coming in and coming out. And definitely, and I I was getting that feeling at first, but then no, like everyone is fleshed out so well in this book and <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing Very like even so. even tertiary characters are you're like oh yeah i know someone exactly like that eric and buddy oh my god oh i love right. them we haven't even mentioned them yes yet. but they're they're awesome like they have so much lived in stuff and they have their little subplot like like where like the grandma is not into the relationship but they want it kind of it, it's kind of like kind of like a little you know a little crack in this perfect you know 
like cute queer friendly snow globe once again relationship issue and laura would be a perfect person to help you know kind of help them go through it because she's in a relationship and she could probably relate somehow and yet she's just so inside her own head and that that like the that side story is is dealt exactly like what it is it's, it's a side story because look because because freddie can't pay attention to the to yeah, anything yeah. else that's going on yeah with yeah kind of it shows like ooh, like i'm like ooh, we're gonna dig into this plot more there's there's a lot of yeah. pages in this book and they're like uh, nope freddie doesn't care and once again i mean um uh, i've you know i've dated people that I knew that people in my family wouldn't approve of, and I'm in a relationship. Actually, I'm married to somebody who I know that, that my that people in my side of my family kind of look down on. That I'm that I'm married to that person, and we've been in love and married happily for 15 years. So it's you know, I mean, it's but at the same time, it's just you dealing with other people's perceptions and systemic problems that they have. You know, like it, I can is once again definitely very relatable. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I like that they looked at that instead of you know maybe touch on the '80s stuff one more time. Like that 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 stuff's all fake. It's it's obviously written by adults. Even yeah, like yeah. the even when you, even you get things like you know if you want to get more modern like like Easy A. That's obvious. It just it's it deals with tropes and not real people, which can be fun sometimes. But like I feel like I like feel like Laura Dean is more. I don't know. I mean, it's it's very, like the way it's drawn is very stylized, and like you might as well like it's fucking comics. You can anything with comic. Yeah, uh, use the medium. Just the, just the relationship dynamics and how like and the nuance is is more. It feels more. I don't know, like authentic. I guess it feels very authentic. It feels very lived in. It feels very if you can take any of these characters out and put them in different spaces, walk them around, they feel like real whole people. And that's nice. That's not something you get in a lot of other romance spaces, which, and I love a romance comic. I love a romance story. Um, And so this worked really well for that. It gives you a lot of depth and a lot of, uh, creativity and a lot of emotion that you don't get in a lot of other romance where even if it's a bad romance which this is um great song yes i heard it as soon as i said it uh, <laughs> and i hated myself for it but i couldn't um, stop my mouth i love for gaga chromatica <laughs> forever i god damn it i forgot what i was saying again. i'm so sorry no, it's not your fault because I heard it as soon as I said it. What was I saying? Something, something. I don't were, know. Somebody that, else take over. It was. It was obviously a bad, bad romance, but obviously a bad romance for but... sure. Well, go, go, kind yeah. of bouncing off. You were talking about because you're into you know romance comics, which are very yeah. have a style, have tropes. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Valero O'Connell especially kind of plays with style a lot. Like she'll she'll really just up the richness of her line work when she's doing like like crazy makeout scenes and stuff but then she could also kind of like vary this line depth when she's doing a scene for example i was like looking at this earlier the party the big party which the way laura words it you think it's just like okay we're just have some one-on-one fun mm-hmm. whatever like that's that the way painful. i took it mm-hmm. but then it's this huge crazy like rager and and then 
And then you see Freddie just alone on the couch, just the dark lines, and then just all kinds of motion and flowing. And I love how Rosemary Valero O'Connell draws clothes, like, like folds and movement and going on. And she's just sitting there on the couch. I mean, we've, we've all been, I mean, I don't, I don't know about extroverts, but we've all been there. You're just like, oh, this sucks. Get me out of I here. I never went to parties in school, so I've uh, kind of not been there. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I'm like, well, I went to a few in high school, but I mean, I don't know. I'm just in life, I guess. I've been there as an adult, I guess. Yeah, no, it's like even worse as an adult. Always find a the cat. Always find a pet. Like I know it's a cliche, but find the pet. Yeah. <laughs> I just stay home and find the pet. I have yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. Find the pet. <laughs> I think if I was ever forced to go to like a party like that, I I'd find the the stereo and take yeah. it over. <laughs> oh yeah, DJ. Oh, I've I've been there too. Oh my gosh, I'm just like, oh, I'll like be at something like, why are you playing this? And I just start, I just start, I always like, I always play like '90s hip hop, and people just like lose their minds because of nostalgia. Oh, definitely. Um, uh, what did you guys think? I mean, like we were t- we were talking earlier about the the facial expressions, and about uh, about the detail that that um, that Rosemary Blair O'Connell puts into everything. And one thing that I kind of noticed, um, I was wondering if you guys kind of saw that as well, or, or maybe I was just making something up in my head, is that Laura Dean's always has a smile on her face like most of the time and even when especially when she's doing the worst things you know in the book that she does um like do like how like i feel that 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 you know that kind of has to deal with her you know the 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 you know like she has no repercussions to her actions because everyone's gonna love her no matter what i know even the parents and the parents are like i think I forget. I think it's Freddie's parents or like, it's like her, her dad's like. Yeah, her dad. Her dad's like, oh, she's so cool. It's like a movie. Laura Dean's so cool. Yeah. And it's not till the end where you finally get a frown on her face because she gets a taste she gets of her broken own medicine. Up with. I know, and then you just get the parade of fucks. Fuck yous. Yeah. 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 Ooh, like and, when when they do the pink and the lettering, I'm just like, it's game yeah. time. The pink and white. I. I I noticed that about her smiling all the time and that was that's kind of one of those things I applied to kind of the depth and brokenness of Laura's character kind of that everybody else has this breadth of emotion and she doesn't show it no matter you know she glad hands she is kind of like the politician or whatever she goes around she's nice to everybody she's the singular person to everybody she's a prom queen i mean yeah <laughs> yeah no definitely literally at the end yeah i know i'm like i'm like yeah that is the most logical plot development ever kudos um, um and yeah well like yeah and then yeah because i think yeah like the, where the whole the 80s stuff comes from like kind of bookending with dances but you also get like other kinds of dances like you get like the amazing like the, the, the queer dancing in the middle which is like so awesome but then definitely it gets undercut by the toxicity but i mean that's life you have like, an amazing moment and then it gets undercut and it's okay and i mean vi and and uh freddie are still cool like yes i, like, I love i love how like like they're like oh yeah mo everyone makes out with mo 
<laughs> yeah, that was funny. It's yeah. just like it's like a thing. I mean, it's, it's like, just a thing that happens. It's like a right. Anytime, of anytime you're you're having a bad time, someone will come up, make out with Mo. Yeah, I mean, some people are just like that. I guess I don't know. I, I guess so. I mean, like I guess I, I never had a friend like that, but I've always there's always a, one person in the group that everyone tells, like a stranger will come up to him and be like, "I'm gonna tell you about my life right now," and it's like okay you know like how do i know you the like, bartender I, face you know so so i guess there might be a, a kissable person like that out there as well like where everyone just has yeah. to make out with <laughs> yeah um no one, one thing i found like really interesting so when i was first reading this um i accidentally saw the last page maybe a quarter of the way into the book and i was just like and and the thing is and and it ends with you know with an embrace between doodle and freddie and so i took it in my head you know like oh like they get together and 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 so i was reading it with that like perspective and i was very relieved because the thing is is that as i said earlier freddie has this relationship issue where she needs to be in a relationship and the fact that she ends up with nobody like and she ends up with just her friends and you know and her friends are are where where she puts her need for a relationship is just it's a beautiful thing to me yeah the ending i got a lot of satisfaction from it was a very satisfactory ending yeah, the power of friendship. I mean, can't go wrong with that. And, yeah. But I, but I feel like it's not like a Band-Aid. Like, I feel like they had to work through some shit and they had to cry yeah. and have arguments and have some, and it's just, and like Freddie, you know, just missing holding Doodle's hand at the abortion clinic. Like, yeah. Like they, like uh, Tamaki and Blair O'Connell did the work and the payoff was was, was tremendous for sure. Absolutely. I have one kind of thing I want to touch on real quick. So I, I really, I'm, I was hilarious. I love that um, basic, that, uh, that a Freddie works at, at a lesbian like sandwich shop. That is so cool. Yes. I mean, it's awesome. And, and I was, and I just, I was, I'm like, and, and I knew who this, I think I feel like I knew who the celebrity was as soon as they mentioned who it was. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's Ellen Page probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. To Ellen, yeah, right, and it's kind yeah. of funny, like in retrospect now, like because I mean, there's there's been whispers about Ellen DeGeneres forever. I mean, she she was great. You know, it was great back in the '90s. She came out, that was awesome. It but like recently, she's recently, and it kind of well, it kind of shows like you can be you can be queer and be toxic as fuck. Cough, cough, Jeffrey Star. Like, there's so <laughs> many. I mean, sorry, he was on the news today. Well, yeah, and that's. <laughs> That, that's the thing is that like, a lot of people yeah. want to put like personalities and, and to to people and like just stereotype people with personalities and you know you don't you you could be any color any gender any any sexual preference and be an asshole yeah or no be, and I, or and be I like the that. best or be the best person in the world you know? right and i like that that book and then i like the conversation she has with the older the older lesbian women about mm-hmm. like they're like, oh, we, we did did so much, and then and, and and like Freddie's trying to f- find out her place in that dynamic, and talking about how like how blessed she is that she can just have a breakup without like it being a big deal, and it's cool, and it's really it's 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 it really it's like an interesting bit of sub like bit of you know kind of running background radiation about like the conversation between older queer people, younger queer people, queer people who are in between. And it's it's kind of interesting. It's like it's like the whole the whole 
the whole like same gender marriage being legalized. I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, but, but I'm like, I, we gotta go beyond that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be just like, I don't know. It's, but it, it shows that without, you know, making it the main point, but it's cool to have that like in the background. And I liked it a lot. And also just the Ellen Page thing was really funny <laughs> in general. No, yes, it was. And it's kind of interesting just to see how like percep like the percep like within a year, like the perceptions of these celebrities have changed. <laughs> For sure. And also just like the like and then I feel like and then I feel like some people get like a pass for being like a pioneer, even though they could be a terrible person. They're up at football games chilling with war criminals. Chilling with war criminals, yeah. Well yeah, Ellen exactly. Page is like traveling the globe bringing queerness to everyone mm-hmm. and being awesome in Umbrella Academy too, I guess. I definitely have to watch that. <laughs> awesome in Hard Candy when she was 13. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's awesome in everything, obviously. But mm-hmm. yeah, obviously. I'm like, I'm like, are you guys about, am I going to have to throw hands with some fictional characters? No. <laughs> um, so kind of, kind of wrap it up. Did any, anybody have any like kind of final thoughts? I just, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I love that was just, and that's not even, that's not even a B or C plot. That's just background color. That, that yeah. just shows how awesome it is. A passing it. conversation, yeah. Yeah. Little bites. Um, uh, so did anybody have any last thoughts about uh, Laura Dean breaking up with me? <laughs> I, I liked it, obviously. I thought, like, one of the things, kind of what you were saying there at the end, one of the early on things she said that, I am progress. I'm an example of progress or however she put it, this ability, you know, to just keep breaking up and making terrible relationship decisions in public is progress. And that's completely true. This book is a symbol of progress that it is, like you said, reading that back quote, it's just a book about a relationship and these characters happen to be queer. And that's fantastic. And we just need to keep doing this because it's so exhausting (laughs) reading books where these queer books are just, oh, the character's queer and that's the story is that they're queer. That needs to not be the story that they're queer needs to be incidental. And that's what was so wonderful about this. Yeah, no, it's all, yeah, I'm like, whoa, this is so, I mean, give it all the awards. Yeah, you, you, you grow up having to hide all this shit and pretend that you're quote unquote normal in tiny Christian towns. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, yeah. And I feel like even it in, sucks. right. I mean, even in like, I, I feel like even in like mainstream movies and TV shows, it's always about the big coming out like that. Yeah. Fucking love Simon flick. Like mm. I'm like, come on, I don't need another, like really another teen coming. But I think, but here's the thing, like, I feel like I think it's important for context. Like Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Is said in, you know, one of the most progressive areas yes. for LGBT yes. rights in the country. Yeah. And you know, people. I mean, where I currently live doesn't have a gay bar, and probably never will, due to some well, powerful. We don't forces. have a bar. So. <laughs> uh, well, some powerful forces. But the thing is, like, we don't have a gay bar, but then a town similar size. 30, 30 miles down the road has one. And, yeah. And it's just kind of like, okay, like, and. Yeah, it's we like, have, we have the same issues because we're run by a mega church near, we've got a huge mega church near oh, us yeah. and we have the same problem. <laughs> well, my, my, my mega church guy is trending on Twitter right now. Yeah. 
<laughs> Back at University uh, Church the guy. Mine have does you, quite frequently. Yeah. Have you guys um ever hung out in Berkeley? Like I, I've never been. I wanna go. Fuck yeah. I need to go. God. Everyone's like, have you been to San Francisco yet? It's always it's usually like like older gay dudes in like their like forties and stuff. And I'm like, nope, haven't been there yet. You know, I haven't really been able to afford that trip yet, but maybe soon. And then COVID happened. Like I yeah. really like San Francisco, the Silicon Valley has definitely invaded True. SF, yeah. but East Bay is definitely still kind of has that vibe, and it's very fun. Amoeba Records is one of the greatest places by by the college in Berkeley. Cool, and it's just it's a it's a wonderful little area. Well, thank you How, for the travel tip, and also <laughs> to our audience too. <laughs> you're welcome that's, that's travel awesome. tips by brian yeah yeah no no like i've lived in places like that had it like where i lived in kentucky had like a neighborhood and it was super cool there were mm-hmm. like a couple gay bars some like queer friendly like there was like a vegan fast food like very just like queer friendly vibe um and it's but then yeah but it was cool like it's it's, it's cool just having those spaces yeah um, living kind of Living in a gay neighborhood is fantastic. It I did is. in Seattle, and it definitely is kind of life-changing. And coming back is also kind of life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, because you, you kind of have to, like, yeah, you kind of have to judge how, like, I guess, out you're going to be in any kind of situation at any time. Yeah. <laughs> Just is like, it's like, terrible to have like, to do that. Like, sometimes, I don't know. Like sometimes I, I have I have second thoughts. Between, I'm gonna be completely honest. I'm gonna be like, I sometimes have second thoughts before I, I put on my rainbow mask to go out to get groceries and stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. like I mean, I'm I don't care. I mean, I've been called slurs before, whatever. I don't care. But it's just kind of like the, the <laughs> attention. I just kind of assume that people think mine is just a rainbow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't even think people here think of it that way first. Mm-hmm true i'm maybe overthinking things <laughs> i don't know cool. but you shouldn't even have to worry about it it's exactly sad. yeah you know true. it's it's sad um no i i grew up in san diego california and and uh it's a, it's a military town it's i always mm-hmm. kind of consider san diego i always called it an island even though obviously it's not an island because you have the pacific ocean to the west you have camp pendleton to the north which kind of cu- cuts off anything from orange county to la county and you have to the east you have the desert mountains and to the south you have mexico and so you're kind of it's it's a very isolated big city and um it's um and they have the but the best place to go for music, shoes, fashion, anything was the Hillcrest area. And so it's just absolutely like, you know, it's, I, I never actually lived in, in a gay neighborhood, but I always wanted to. <laughs> like, yeah, when, when, for the win. yeah, definitely. And, and like er, every pride, you know, like getting on, getting on the, the bus and going through, through Hillcrest and seeing all the flamingos and everything is mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. Yeah, like where I live literally just got pride one year ago. <laughs> no, where I live now, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Which, and, but it's, but it's kind of cool. Like, I feel like pride has become so corporate. Like yeah. back in Kentucky, like cops, huge, huge. Like there is a one, I think Kroger, the big grocery chain. I think it's Ralph's out West. It is. Um, 
had su- had something where they did LGBTQIA, but instead of asexual, they did ally, and it just made me facepalm the fuck. Hmm. And it was that's, just like that's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's just like it was a lot that. of like it was a lot of I mean just like corporate. I'm just corporate virtue signaling and not like enough actual queer people, you know. No, the after parties though, that's where it's at. <laughs> like, but but then I, I went to a small, like a very small Pride March where I live now and and it was during COVID. So it, that's why it was so small. And it was just, I don't know, it was kind of beautiful. And I'm like, it's kind of how it should be. It's the roots of it. And, and I went to, and I went to another, yeah. And I went, I went to one, another small Pride at a, a kind of a medium-sized town in Kentucky, and it had a similar vibe as well. And there were actually protesters, lol. There, I mean, oh. But, but, um, but it was it was kind of just had that like more like I don't know like less you know less rainbow capitalism, more queer resistance kind of yeah. vibe, which was awesome. And I think that's also like with the characters and um, more Jean or more like they they brought in a more activist centric time period like i don't know it's <laughs> yeah i probably i probably offended a bunch of like four-year-old gay men i'm sorry guys <sighs> but i'm you just know, it, these are, it I'm speak, the I'm times you grow up in right. the times yeah. you grow up in people you know you were progress for your own progress now we've got to make the next period of progress we did one thing hooray yeah. Now we've got to do the next thing. It exactly. doesn't end. It doesn't stop. Now we got to hit the next, the next thing. We're not done. Yeah, and I mean things can get pulled away so quickly. I mean, like yes, they like absolutely can. Trans healthcare rights and stuff. It, stuff will get. They're I mean, trying to. Who was trying to put in? Don't ask, don't tell again. Some yeah. moron was trying to do that again. Yeah, I mean, just you got to be vigilant, and I mean, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's like I mean racism, and when Obama was elected president, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, and, and you know, homophobia and, and transphobia, biphobia. Yeah. And, and with, um, you know, the like same gender marriage being legal, that's just, <laughs> it's, it's so still a very ongoing situation. It's just so yes, stupid because how does it, ne- how does it affect somebody else? <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not that, like, why, why is it such a big deal? Exactly. Because it, it doesn't affect anyone else except for the person that that is you know that is gay or that is not gay you know like their sexual preference has nothing to do with anyone else but themselves yeah. it's that simple literally like the one thing libertarians get right <laughs> <laughs> okay cool so we went on a nice little yeah so basically social justice rant yes something the something's up um laura dean keeps breaking up with me like it it's a you know it's a great kind of romance toxic relationship story coming of age story but also like has a lot of amazing like subtext about the queer community baked in and it's just but it's not the point of the story it's just like cool background details and but it makes this world so much more lived in and goes really well with Valero O'Connell's like amazing visuals like I, I think I think it described this book you don't look at the art you like kind of just drink it in it's it's really amazing. And uh, basically, anything Rosemary Blair O'Connell draws is on my Insta buy, Insta read list. Gosh, definitely. From here I, on to the end of time, for sure. 
the floral nature of everything in this book is just really cool. You know, like everything's just growing and vibrant. Yep. Cool. All right. I think that's a great um, way to leave things off. So speaking of vibrance, what are we, what are we looking forward to this week? Brian, what are you looking forward to this week from indie comics? I know that we usually tend to stay away from licensed books, but I'm going to break a small rule <laughs> right I, now. Um, I gave him a pass. I'm a huge Proto Men fan, so I got to Yeah. I gave him so, a pass on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Boom has a book uh, coming out, Mega Man, Fully Charged, number one, which I just found out actually today that that was originally a TV show um that was based on the video game um anything with the words mega and man next to each other i'm gonna buy <laughs> um i've that's a huge part of like my 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 childhood is is video games and especially like those type of games that that um that mega man represents like the the fun size scrolling adventure type games and that that people nowadays will label very hard but back then it you know, the, it's at least it wasn't glitchy, or not too glitchy. So, so it was, it was, it was perfectly fine. Um, this, it, the, the way this, the book sounds, it's gonna be getting into the roots of of Mega Man, basically, where, you know, the his father in quotation marks, the person who creates him, Doctor Light, um, originally creates him and his sister. Um, his, uh, Mega Man's real name is, and in, in, in Japan as well as he's known as Rock and Rockman, and his sister is Roll. There's a lot of musical puns in Mega Man, which makes it even better. Um, so, so Rock is a basically a companion, like a, a basically a son to Doctor Light, and, and Roll is basically a daughter. And they help around the house and you know do chores and stuff like that while he events stuff. And and Doctor and then Doctor Wiley, who was the former um, former assistant of Doctor Light, basically starts a robot revolution among other robots and so then rock rock has to become um basically a weapon and and so it's dealing with you know become from a peaceful character to becoming to becoming a mega man to save the world essentially and wow. and not only fight not only not only saving the world but you're saving the world against you know the same things that you are like or or that he is you know like because mega man's fighting robots and he's a robot so and so and and robots that were were built for specific like aid and and help in the world just like he was so it's kind of it, you know I, I that that very rudimentary story of robot shoot stuff can definitely be be spread out and uh and really delved into into a comic so i'm kind of excited yeah. to to hear that he's back in a comic i know that the um initially there was the um the Archie Comics yep, Mega Man yep. series. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've never. I've My never roommate read in it. college loved those a lot. I I yeah. I definitely have been mean and wanting to read them for a very long time, and I haven't. So I know I there's a crossover just... with Sonic. So oh yeah. When I get and if you want to go full '90s video game nerd on them, I mean, definitely. I think that that's that's an easy one to track down. And... So excited! I I haven't mentioned yeah. the creators yet. It's Boom. Um, if I didn't say that before, uh, the it's uh, written by um, two, two writers, A.J. Uh, Marchicello and Marcus Reinhardt. And artist is Stefano Simone, who actually did another com uh, video game related comic recently, Read Only Memories, Ooh. which is actually really good as well. 
Lucina Grace, nice, cool. Yeah, Lucina Grace, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Darcy, have you played the Mega Man games? Yes, of course. Okay, yeah. I, I think <laughs> I feel like they're a little bit bit of a before my time, but I I played a played one of the fighting games at old arcade, and I played a little bit of Mega Man Battle Network. And probably my most of my knowledge of the characters comes from the music of the Proto Men. They, if you don't know about the Proto Men, they're a band from Murfreesboro, Tennessee that did a like rock opera about the Mega Man lore that Brian was talking about. So it's kind of cool. I can kind of like see the lore play out visually. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'm actually doing a capsule review this week. So. My ex-boyfriend wrote a rap song about Wiley. Oh, nice. And Mega Man. <laughs> and, well, uh, and there's also the hip hop artist. Not bad. <laughs> That's very cool. There's a hip hop artist, uh, Mega Ren, who basically got his start by taking the exceptionally great um, video game music of Mega Man and using that as samples to Ooh, to yeah. write rap around. Yeah, Mega and, Man is amazing. Uh, yeah, so sure. I definitely recommend Mega Ren as well and the Proto Man and yeah, definitely it's all, all good stuff. Cool. All right. Wow. So uh, Darcy, what is your uh, uh, what are you looking forward to next week? Um, going off of uh, the uh, what did the Source Point Press thing that I was talking about earlier, that I was currently hooked on Source Point Press, still on Source Point Press, uh, Bug Bites Number One by Corrine Roberts. Um, it is about a young girl who is sort of obsessed with uh, her grandmother's recipe book for cooking insects. Um, She's got this story behind it that her grandmother, when she was a young girl, was uh, kidnapped or abducted by this gigantic bug, and she fought it back and for a while had to eat insects, but then she, like, took out its eyeball and escaped and then started eating insects as a way to create vengeance against this giant insect that uh, kidnapped her. And so she's got this whole recipe book that cooks insects. And so her granddaughter <laughs> now likes to eat insects. And she meets this little boy who's like this little foodie. And he also likes to eat insects. And he's got this whole thing about insects are like the more environmentally friendly new food that everybody's going to be eating. And they're a food that people eat all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's a whole thing. And so they're just going around talking about different kinds of food and great food and blah, blah, blah. And then um, the little boy gets kidnapped by a giant insect. Ooh. And <laughs> it's just kind of really funny. And there is a source point press. So there's some horror elements, uh, the horror elements being giant bugs, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, the, art is, the art is really kind of uh, whimsical. Uh, Scott, I, I looked at it and I just automatically thought everything would make really great tattoos because it's got these bold, dark lines and really vibrant uh, colors that are kind of on the darker spectrum, oranges, browns, reds, really gorgeous to look at. Uh, so I highly recommend it with issue one I've read because for some reason I got my issue sent to me early I did digital I don't know why I got it early but hey I got it early thank you I guess <laughs> I don't know how that happened but yeah. it happened Publishing so schedules are so weird now. like <laughs> after COVID with DC going to Tuesday just I don't know through the, through the world off of it's, it's supposed to come out uh 
uh, this Wednesday, and it came out to me last week. So it's like, awesome hey, it. yay! It's awesome you got it early. Yeah, <laughs> this this will be available on the their website, like the that you're yeah, I'll, like, yeah, I'll okay. It's, it it comes out. It's digital and for print, and I'll put a link obviously on our Twitter. Nice. I will definitely be clicking that link to buy this. <laughs> so I'm kind of cheating this week, but I don't know. Uh, I so my, my, my looking forward to this week is not these aren't new these are all old comics um which which is fine i mean old comics totally are awesome. fine i've done all the comics it's yeah. uh it's uh so humble bundle is this you probably heard of humble bundle people basically you pay a certain amount of money and it goes to a great charity and you get comics games game uh i don't know like role-playing game pdfs prose books it's it's cool it's it's a good deal and you're helping people so this week um one of the humble bundles is a 2000 ad humble bundle so 2000 ad is like one of the great british comic book companies they do judge dread rogue trooper slain strontium dog um they're they're huge in the and then also like another thing like 2000 ad is where a lot of your favorite current writers got their start whether it's you know old school guys like alan moore grant morrison um Peter Milligan. We mentioned Peter Milligan earlier. The kind of newer guys like Al Ewing and Cy Spurrier. It's it's like a great kind of place to see your favorite creators before they they blow up. And so yeah, so so this humble bundle has some amazing 2080 comics. And like I'm just I'm just gonna read a few of the highlights. You got Halo Jones, which is probably the most underrated Alan Moore comic, art by Ian Gibson. It's basically about the life of an ordinary girl living in the future and it's alan moore doing slice of life so it's really awesome the only bad thing about it is that it was never concluded because of it's alan moore so <laughs> rights issues, creator rights issues he wasn't getting <laughs> enough compensation for it mm -hmm. um another one another one that i've read a series I, there, obviously there's like kind of stuff that you probably heard of like there's a lot of judge dread in there like three or four and judge anderson the psychic judge who, if you've seen the movie, she was played by uh, Olivia Thirlby. Yes. So was great. Yeah, and then you also have like um, Grant Moore. If you pay fifteen dollars, you can get all of Grant Morrison's first superhero saga, Zenith, which is about a rock star who is a superhero. And book three is especially good because it's basically Crisis on Infinite Earths, but with all these like old school British heroes, and it's amazing. He like turns this like kids robot character into like an acid, like acid freak, and it's like hilarious. Um, and also deals with a lot of the politics of the time, like Margaret Thatcher, labor, conservatism, but with like superhero pop star twists. And if you're into more historical fiction, there's stuff like Aquila, which is about um, Roman Britain. And then there's Slain, which is Pat Mills. Um, I don't think, unfortunately, they don't have the, the Slain that Simon Bisley does the art for, but it's still good stuff. Um, and also there's some early Al Ewing in here, Zombo, and it's awesome. You should definitely check it out. And there's also a few of the books of the Future Shocks, which are like kind of short twist ending stories. Um, you can see guys like Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, Peter Milligan kind of work on their craft. You can kind of see it just like from the beginning, which is kind of cool. And then I think my last one is, because we mentioned Milligan earlier, is Counterfeit Girl. It's by Peter Milligan and arts by Rufus Dayglow, who has this kind of psychedelic style. It's kind of similar to Jamie Hewlett, Tank Girl mm -hmm. and Gorillas. So 
that's that's one I saw in there. I'm like, I've been meaning to read it. So it was kind of one I'm like, okay, this is it's not all like surface. There's some deep cuts in there too. So yeah, if you want like the 2008, especially for American audiences, like 2008 stuff can be a little harder to find. But if you just want like a quick kind of introduction to these, like, and they're always very satirical, very tongue in cheek. Um, if you're tired of just straight up boring, like punching things and you want a little more edge, which I think people do now, like living in the 21st century, which is a corrupt time, corrupt, fucked up, surreal time. Like, check it out. And you can get it, like, even the, the main, if you go the $15 route, that's like one trade paperback and you get like so many comics for that. So definitely check it out if, if you want to, if you're like, ooh, 2080, it's always seemed cool. Like now's your chance, and and I'm a hypocrite because I haven't bought it yet, but I will after this show. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's my looking forward, and I'm excited. Maybe we can cover some of the books. Absolutely. On and they're also DRM free, so yay. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. All right. And are you guys 2080 fans at all? I'm just curious. I haven't read a ton. Judge Dredd, obviously, I think most people who read comics have read some Judge Dredd. I right. think that's pretty much where my 2008 stuff yeah. starts and ends. Right. Brian? Yeah, the um, the free comic book day um, issues uh, for the 2008 comes out every year. They put out like a, a kid, kid version of their other comics and then a oh, regular yeah. adult version. Uh, those are always fun to read. I've, I've never really gotten re- read Redfolia, another 2080 book besides a little bit of Tank Girl um, and a little bit of is Tank Girl 2080. Tank Girl right? is no. Okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a nerd. Tank Girl was oh. started out in Deadline magazine. Okay, um, and, and then, it, then it was with Dark Horse for a while. DC Vertigo. And now it's by Titan. So it's kind of hopped around. But a lot of like Tank Girl creators, like Jamie Hewlett, yeah, 2080. Exactly. Um, but I have read Dread. Are little, and then I do love the, the 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 more recent Dread movie, which is one of one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, right. I feel like I feel like Dread is the only 2080 character that's really been successful in the United States. Unfortunately, they are making a uh, Duncan Jones is making a Rogue Trooper movie, so hopefully that does well. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's cool, and it's like I don't know. There's like a really good documentary about 2080, and it kind of shows like some of the like like either subconscious or consciously um influence of 2080 on like pop culture uh, for sure yeah so yeah so that that's cool. that's this episode and hopefully we'll cover some of these books in the future so that kind of wraps up this episode of comics deserve better uh brian where can folks find you online I am at on Twitter at uh, Brygen2814, and I am on Instagram at Brygen underscore CB, and that's B-R-A-I-J-I-N. Cool. And Darcy, where can folks find you? I'm online. I'm at Twitter at books underscore serial, and I have a website booksandserial.wordpress.com wasn't able to do uh, that whole fandom Superman Adventures of Superman thing because fandom DC fandom went ahead and canceled it on me the jerks Mm. so I'm super upset about that but instead we did a post on plagues and vampires and Dracula and COVID so 
it was kind of stream of consciousness, very last minute craziness. Nice. That's that's all good. Yep. And you can find me at a uh, Midniner Bay B A E on Twitter, and you can find my writing at graphicpolicy.com. You can also find the podcast there too. It, um, it's kind of syndicated on there, which is cool. Uh, shout out to my editor for allowing that. And then Very speaking cool. of the podcast, you can subscribe to us on just search comics is there better in iTunes and Spotify and other kind of smaller podcatchers. Um, yeah, just look on there and you can follow us on Twitter. We're pretty active CDB pod. And we also have a website that's still in construction comics. Is there <laughs> that's my fault. It, it's okay. Um, and then we also, um, you can also um, email us comics is there better at gmail.com with any comments, questions, corrections, just anything. Shoot the shit with us. If you want to tell and, us that we're cool. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. And leave, leave reviews, follow, subscribe. It helps us get it out, get us out there more for sure. And keep talking comics. And yeah, That's so cool. just, just find, just indie comics are everywhere. You can get them on Humble Bundle. You can get them on this Graphite app. You can get them at your local comic store. You can get them at your bookstore. Webtoons. Just, there are many ways to access this content all kinds of price points. So just find something you like this week. So that's how I'll sign off. <laughs>